I'm Cheryl Kimball. I'm the pastor of Highland Park Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. I'm a grandmother and uh, a wife, and I love my family, and they're a big part of my, of my life. What's Austin like, and what's it like to be a pastor in Austin? Well, Austin is unique in Texas in that it is, it is a little oasis in the middle of Texas of diversity and um, progressiveness and, and people that are open to a lot of different things. So it's fun to be a church in Austin where you can be open and be who you are. And so that's what we try to do here at Highland Park. It's done you well, I think, being in Highland Park Baptist Church, not least because you met your husband here, didn't Mm -hmm. you? So can you talk about that dynamic of meeting somebody when you're the pastor? Mm -hmm. What's it like? Is it different? Are there different expectations on a relationship? It, It was very interesting. In the beginning, when we first started dating, several of our friends in the church were kind of pushing us together. And so when we first started dating, we kept it very secret for fear that it wouldn't work. But then it, that gets hard. And when it finally came out, people knew. They were all so loving and accepting, but they, they really pushed for marriage. And so we, we didn't get married for three years. People kept um, giving Roy um, advertisements for diamond rings or things like that to try to push him to propose. Um, when we finally did decide to get married, once again, we didn't tell anybody, and we just got up on a Sunday morning and got married in the middle of a worship service on Sunday morning. So we surprised the congregation, and it was fun. There were people who were angry because they weren't here. I said, don't miss church because you never know what's going to happen. So the church has been a very big part of, of our dating life and of our married life and they're very loving and supporting of us and uh, so it's been great it's been great is your husband like the the pastor's wife does he get the burden of the wifely duties of the traditional vicar he jokingly says that all the time that he's the pastor's wife but he doesn't do casseroles and he doesn't play the piano but he's been a part of this congregation for a lot longer than i have so he is in, in, they do turn to him in a lot of ways, but he's great about it and he loves it. So it works out good. I know other pastors who, who pastor churches and their spouse is not a part of it. I couldn't do that. Um, it's such an important part of my life that I need it to be a part of his life too. And I have to be careful because I tend to use him in stories a lot. So I have to, you know, I have to be careful of that. But I don't know how to do that without a partner that is 100% as called as I am. This calling obviously comes up in every time I speak to a female reverend. What is it? What does it feel like? How do you know it's a calling? Well, I was a school teacher, and I taught school. I loved teaching school, taught elementary school. And at one point in time, the church I was attending... um, needed someone to step in for an interim to take care of the children, which is right up my alley. So I stepped in to do that. But I found myself very quickly working as a teacher, but my heart being with those children in that church. I remember it vividly. I was sitting in a worship service when it just rolled over me. This is what I'm supposed to do. 
I'm not supposed to be teaching school. I'm supposed to be teaching God. And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I went to my pastor. And I said, you know, this, this is what I feel. And he said, finally, finally, you see what I've seen for a long time. I always said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work in church work. I'm called to work in church work, but I'm not ever going to preach. Never going to preach. Came to Highland Park. When they called me, I said, I'm not going to be a preacher. I'm going to work with the children. I'll do anything you want to do except preach. And then something happened, and the pastor wasn't there, and I had to preach. And then I started doing it every now and then. And it just began again, like before, to wash over me that this is what I'm supposed to do. And soon moved into being the pastor. And so it's, I would say it's just a feeling that washes over you when you know that's all you can do. I, I had a pastor friend years ago that said, if you feel called, try to walk away from it. Try to walk away from it. And if you can't walk away from it, then pick it up and run. And that's what I feel like I've done. What difference has it made to your life, do you think, having that calling and, and accepting it? A lot of peace and comfort. Um, it has changed my life in that, um, you know, when you teach school, there's always an end of a semester, and end of the year, and you start anew. You're never done in church. You're never done. You have projects that might get finished, but there's always something that needs to be done. So trying to learn how to do self-care as a pastor has been very difficult. How to learn to make sure my family gets what they need from me, how to make sure the church gets what they need from me without wearing me out has been a chore. But I've learned. I've learned to do it. I've learned to set boundaries. Um, and it seems to be working out. Is it better to have any faith than no faith? Yes. Because I feel like all faith is, is rooted in the same thing. And that is a greater being who loved us enough to place us here and to give us this beautiful earth um, to live on. And, and we're on this earth to walk this journey to become closer to God, to be God's children on this earth. So yes, I think any faith is, is important. And I don't diminish any person of faith, no matter what their faith is. What about extremism, extreme faith? What do you think about that? Well, again, that's fear. That's fear of not wanting people to be in my presence that are different. And so every, every faith journey out there have people who walk in extremes. And I think we can't, in, in extremes in both ways, but that's the fear, the fear of not wanting to come to the middle and be with other people that are, are just like me. They look different and they think different, but they still have blood running through their veins. And they're intelligent and beautiful people made, created in the image of God. And so it's important that we, we learn to live with people who are different. And extremism is the attempt to rid 
the world of the difference. And it's frightening. I think we're becoming desensitized to it a bit. You know, we went through a time where it kind of took a back seat, but it's flooding back right now, and that is frightening to me. We're in a, a world of divisiveness and fracture and fragmentation. How do you prevent that from going any further? How do you put things back together again? Man, if I could come up with the answer to that, I would be set for life, I think. I think it's going to be one day at a time, and I think it's going to be one person at a time opening their hearts to new people. I, I wish there was an easy way. I'm afraid in our society here in the United States, it's coming from the top down. And we, as the, as the down, need to raise our voices and we need to show love, and we need to speak love, and we need to fight for love, not in an extremist way, but we need to make sure our voices are heard, that love is why we're here, love. What about the biggest talking point, potentially, uh, of uh, Trump's presidency so far, that of a wall separating Texas from Mexico? How do you feel about that? Well, it saddens me. Uh, It saddens me that we have to have borders at all. It saddens me that we have borders around states. It saddens me that we have borders around countries because I don't feel like anyone owns the land. The land is created for all. So I have a real hard, hard time with a line in the sand that says, if you live on this side, you have, and if you live on this side, you have not. So I have a real problem with it. I would, I would love to see our, our borders open wide. Where would this country be if it weren't for uh, immigration? I mean, we're all part um, of the world. And so it really saddens me. I think putting a border across the bottom of, of Texas doesn't really solve the issues that people are uh, dealing with, which is fear, fear of people who are different. It's really interesting for me to be in Texas and be talking to a female pastor. I didn't think it'd be that easy to find one in Texas, but here we are. So it does show that change happens. What's your vision for the future? How, how would you judge success as a pastor when you look back? Man... If 10 years from now we can look back over these 10 years and see that these mass violent events in churches and synagogues and, and um, all houses of worship, that would be a success to me. If we could see people from the Muslim community and the Christian community um, working together to end hunger and homelessness and all the, the education problems that we have, that would be success to me. If we could see ourselves walking side by side, making differences in our community. Being in Texas, how many people do you know that carry guns? I probably know very little. Um, 
but in I probably pass on a daily basis a lot. Texas is very much a gun-friendly state. Uh, it's legal to carry open carry guns in Texas. That happened just uh, a while back. And we as a church had to make a decision. Um, are we going to allow people to come into our sanctuary uh, with guns? And we as a congregation made the decision that the sanctuary, the church, needs to be a place where everyone feels safe. So we don't allow guns in the church in any way, shape, or form. What's it like being a female pastor? Well, it's the only kind I know what it's like to be, so it's pretty comfortable for me. It is isolating sometimes. You know, they always teach you that you can't make friends with your congregation. But when you're one of the only female pastors in the area, who are you supposed to make friends with? Um, So I'm very close with people in my congregation. It has taken me a while to make connections in this community with other uh, faith leaders, Um, but that's happening. I'm in a couple of different groups now that have accepted me. I'm the only female in them but they've accepted me and we're, we're doing some wonderful things together, but it's been a slow road. So isolation would be one thing I would say, but I would also say there's been a lot of beauty in it because as a female, I think I deal with people a little differently, especially in times of death, in times of difficulty, that I see, I see things a little differently than maybe some male pastors have in the past. And so that gives me a, a unique inside to my congregation. How do you grow your congregation? How do you set it up for the future? One of the things I feel a tremendous responsibility to do is to make this church viable for that next generation. And we've tried a lot of different things. And, you know, we're lucky that we have a a pretty strong young adult children group right now. Um, Interesting enough, most of them grew up as children in the church. And now that they have children, they want to be back in the church. And so doing things for the family and keeping the family front and center is, is important to me thinking about what the next generation is going to need in their church and helping my older congregation learn that and understand that and be willing to create the church that we leave to them. And so it's a daily struggle. Uh, We do a lot of conversation about it and a lot of work towards trying to connect to that younger group and watching our children and and being what our children need is important. How much of being a pastor has been or is about ego? Hmm, that's a hard one. You know, I take all of the all the tests, you know, the Myers-Briggs and all of those tests and you know, pastors are just known to be the outgoing ego person because you have to have a bit of that to stand up in front of people and um, I think I missed that gene maybe I didn't but when I started if I stood up in the pulpit I shook like a leaf 
because I just, that was not me. But I have a saying I say all the time, you know, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And God equipped me to be that pastor. Um, so I guess I do have a bit of that ego that I'm, I can now stand up and talk in front of anybody, obviously, and talk for hours. Um, but I do think you have to be, in order to be a successful pastor, in order to be a Christ-like pastor, you have to know that the reason you're there is not because of you. And what you say doesn't reflect on you. You know, when people come by and say, good sermon today, pastor, it's not me. It's because of God's work through me. And so I tell myself that, and I try to tell, you know, say that outside. It's, you know, it's inspiration. It is not me, because I am not the person that can stand up in that pulpit and do this. It is God that equipped me to do that. So I guess it could be very ego-driven, but I try to keep that in check by, by uh, being connected with where the Spirit leads me. How do you deliver your, your sermons as fact or fact-based in a time of fake news? How, how do you manage that? Well, that, that term fake news is just, you know, it's just one of those things that crawls all over me. Because truth is truth, and news should be truth. Um, and I know that we're in an, in an age where people take and bend the, the truth to their elk. But as a pastor who stands up there every Sunday, um, I hope my congregation has enough faith in me to know that what I share is what I feel inspired to share through God. Every person in my congregation knows that I am interpreting it for myself and sharing that with them, but that they're open to interpret it in their way. And hopefully I'm just asking questions to make them ask more questions. My desire is that when they leave church on Sunday, they go, oh, I gotta go home and read that. I've gotta go home and check that out. I've gotta watch that video she talked about. Um, and so hopefully they'll seek the truth themselves instead of just accepting that I'm giving them the truth. I think my congregation knows me well enough to know um, that truth is, is what, I, what I preach and what I believe. Is fake news dangerous? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Anything that is not the truth is dangerous. All non-truth is dangerous. So anyone who takes one little grain and changes it makes it, um, makes it dangerous. And when we have in our leadership people who, who spout untruths on a daily basis that are very easily proven fake or dishonest, and that is our leadership, then we're just developing a society of lies, of untruths. 
And so until we get to the point that we say, we are not going to take it anymore, you're going to tell the truth. Or we want a person in leadership who tells the truth. And until we can prove that truth, I think we've got, we've got nothing but trouble in front of us. How do you know that the Bible is the truth? Well, you know, I realized that the Bible was assembled by men, <laughs> not just by man, but by men. Um, and I, I, I believe that the Bible is inspired, that it's a great source for information. It is a great way of understanding Christ. But we do have to interpret it, and, and every person can interpret it in their own way. And if you want to interpret it as being stories from the age, story from the time that may or may not be actual events that happen, that's okay with me. I know the things that I learned from the Bible are real because they work in my life. Finally, your chosen verse, your favorite verse that resonates with you. It's funny because when I tell people uh, what it is, they often laugh because it's not a standard verse. But I love the end of the third chapter of Habakkuk, starting about 15 or 16, because it talks about what happens when we're in a time of trial. What happens if there's no fruit on the vine? What happens if there's no cattle in the stalls? What happens if it's a dark time in life? And the answer is, I will still rejoice in the Lord because he's given me the feet of the deer to climb the mountaintops. And so that's what I keep in my mind every time I'm going through dark times. What am I to do in this time when I am not seeing I'm not seeing a way out. I still rejoice in the Lord. And that's, to me, my daily mantra. Rejoice in the Lord. Because he has given me everything I need to soar. And yeah, sometimes I'm going to be in the valley. Sometimes I'm going to be on that mountaintop. I have to ask you on a completely different note. Do you own a pair of cowboy boots, cowgirl boots? I own two pair of cowboy boots, and I love them. <laughs> I have a black pair and a white pair. <laughs> Yeehaw. Yeah, it's Texas. <laughs> Bertie Prayer is a Watchwear Media production.